Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 17? In our study of John, we find ourselves here in the great intercessory prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ, just wee hours before his suffering and death. The discourse that began in John 13 has been completed. Jesus and the 11 are on their way to Gethsemane. On the way, Christ then stops to offer this greatest prayer of the Bible. The prayer that includes me and everyone who is in Christ. We have to begin this part. Understand, we've seen it already, but in the first part, first five or so verses, Jesus prays to the Father for himself. Father, the hour has come. And then the second part of the prayer, he prayed for the 11. And we noted, and we will note again, uh, today that in that prayer for the 11, that which he prayed for included those who would yet believe. And that's identified in verse 20. We'll see it in just a minute. So Christ has now separated himself from the world. He said so earlier in this prayer. He's just not in the world anymore. He's in a realm that only he can understand, about to engage in a battle that only he can fight and carry to the cross only what he could carry and win a victory that only he can win. But who is on his heart as he goes to the cross? His 11 and all who are in Christ, who will ever be in Christ. We have to lay the foundation, if you remember to go back to John 6, all that the Father has given to me will come to me. And all that the Father gives to me, I will never, ever, ever cast him out. In the Greek, it's a double negative. I will not never cast him out. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he gives me will come to me. I'll raise him up at the last day. This is the will of the Father. We've talked about the eternal covenant. The covenant made before the foundation of the world between the Father and the Son through which the Father gave to the Son those who come to be known in the Bible as the elect. And even though the elect find ourselves in the horrors of sin and fallen man, yet Christ will redeem us because the Father gave them to him and he loves us 
And the Father loves us because we're in Christ. That's developed here in the passage that we'll see. So now Christ is headed to die for his own, to redeem those whom the Father has given to him from before the foundation of the world. Now he's praying for me. Beginning in verse 20. However, I do not ask for these only, these 11. But, Allah, but, now that conjunction joins with what he's saying now, with what he just says, so that we're all grouped together. The 11 who will initiate the Great Commission and then all who will follow. I do not ask for these only, but also for those believing in me through their word. We're going to extract, God willing, eight thoughts from this passage. And thought number one is that there is a future of the elect who are not yet born. But we have been covered by the prayer of our Savior, our high priest. This is a high priestly prayer. I've said it before in this general context when we began the, ch we began the chapter. Understand that the work of Christ continues even now for those of us who are in him. He died to save us on the cross. He lives to keep us saved as our high priest. And so the principles of his prayers, his prayer as high priest even now in heaven, are revealed here. This, I mean, we're in the Holy of Holies, the communion between the Father and the Son. So, thought number one, he is praying for the future salvation of the elect who are not even yet born, not even on the scene. I don't ask for these, but also for those believing in me through their word. There has been an all-powerful unction in the lives of those who preach the gospel. An unction that it is inescapable for those who are called, who bring glad tidings, who preach it and teach it. It is an unmistakable thing that is a lifelong thing that God somehow mysteriously uses in this world to call out those who are his. It's a, it's a marvelous miracle. The commission is to preach it to every creature in the world. And so those of us who preach, we have this generation in which we live. We didn't live before and we can't live after on this world, but we can live now under the calling of the Great Commission 
to bring the word of God to everyone knowing that some will be saved. Don't know who they are. God knows who they are. The arrangement has been made from before the foundation of the world. But that's not me. I, could, I couldn't enter into that kind of thought. I can only obey what I have been sent to do. It began with these 11. With absolute confidence, Jesus says, there are others who are coming. The, the, the first fruits, you know, in the Old Testament, they, they took the first thing that came out and popped up out there in the field and they brought and they offered it to the Lord. Because in that first fruits, they were expressing their faith that a great harvest was yet to follow. Matthew gives us an interesting take on the resurrection of Christ. And he says, after Christ was resurrected from the dead, others were resurrected from the dead. Now think about that. Then Paul references Jesus and he calls him Christ the first fruits. So Christ, the first fruit, apparently carried other first fruits with him, acknowledging that a great harvest is yet to follow. Here Jesus says, those believing in me through their word. The work of the Holy Spirit, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the time of the church is not yet complete, nor is it concluded because we're still here. When, when, it, when the times of the Gentiles comes to a close, we'll be caught up. And the final seven years designated for Israel will fall in the form of the great tribulation on planet earth. The last seven years of those 70 sets of seven years, Daniel prophesied about that Gabriel told him from heaven when he came down and talked to him about what had been determined for his people Israel. So the times of the Gentiles are still going. They're not complete yet. We keep preaching someday. I don't know when. I don't know where. The last one in this present time will be called by God to salvation and it'll be done as far as the church is concerned. Christ says those believing in me through their word. Thought number two. That all may be one, Father, as you are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. I, okay, if you want to go to sleep for just a few minutes, but I'm going, to, I'm going to carry you into the syntax of the Greek text because it's theologically important whether you like it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I have the word may in red. I think that's red. This is built, these are built, you see the word that, that all may. All of these that have the word that, and it, it continues on beyond here until it comes to a conclusive declaration by the Lord himself, and we'll see that, God willing, when we get to that last slide. 
Stay with me on this, okay? When the apostles were inspired to write the word of God, they were inspired and it came to us originally through the Koine Greek and the Koine Greek doesn't exist anymore. There's modern Greek, but there's not Koine Greek. Nor is there Byzantine Greek, but there's Koine Greek that is the biblical Greek. It is the Greek of Alexander the Great. It's the Greek of Socrates, Plato and Aristotle. But when the church, when the word of God was completed in the canon of scripture, Koine Greek died so that the Koine Greek is frozen. And it's absolute. You can't play with the words. They are there and they are what they mean. Now, up here in the, in the, the, the translation word for word, second line, most of the way over, right after the little number 21, you'll see a Greek word translated that, and the Greek word is hina. Hina. These verbs all may be one, they may also be. Those verbs in the Greek text, stay with me on this, this is important. If you go to sleep, I'm going to slap you. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to slap anybody. It's called a Hina clause. Hina clause. It's in the present subjunctive active. Okay, voice, mood, and tense. Mood, subjunctive. In the Hina clause, it's called here because Hina, the Greek word that's translated, the best we can translate is that. It can also be translated in order that. It's a purpose-result clause. It expresses, in all of the same clause, it expresses intentionality and sure accomplishment. So that you don't want to think that there's something left to chance here. Now, being in the active voice, that means that the subject produces the action. And here it takes it out of my hands and puts it in the hands of God. You stand with me on this. This is yes and this is no. Okay. This is the word of God. Christ is praying this prayer. God the Son. This is high priestly prayer. Hina, Hina clause, not Santa Claus, but his brother, Hina. Hina clause, purpose dash result clause. Expresses both intention in the Greek, in the Koine Greek, in present subjunctive active. Expresses both the intention and the sure result. In the active, the sure result is sure because the subject produces the action who is namely our Lord. Okay? So he's praying for me and guaranteeing through himself by his action, not my action, guarantees that because I'm one of his given to him before the foundation of the world, he is guaranteeing here 
that I'm one of his. Let me tell you, I'm pretty old, but I wasn't born when this was written. All right. That all may be one. The intention and the absolute accomplishment. In order that, hina, in order that all may be one, Father, as you are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. There it is again, the hina clause. Okay, thought number two here. All that the Father will give to him will come to him and it is guaranteed to us by both. Look, he's praying to the Father and he's placing himself right in the middle of it. Father, as you are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Here's what that means. It's not, he's not praying. I mean, there are other passages in the New Testament from the apostles that are in the imperative that command that we be unified as a local church. But this is not that. This is unity with God. We are in Christ. This is a deep thought. Wrap your arms around it and thank God for it. We've already talked about this because it's in the previous verses that we've studied. The Son is in the Father. The believer is in the Son. The Spirit, the Spirit is in the believer. That's a triune God in our salvation. He says us. You see that? That they may also be in us. There it is. Intent and absolute accomplishment. The Hena Clause. So, thought number two. God is in us presently. The Holy Spirit is in us. We are in Christ. Christ is in the Father. As you are in me and I in you, that they may be in us. That's thought number two. So then, There's an old song, when he went, let's see, I don't forget, when he went to the cross, I was on his mind or something, some kind of song. When he was on the cross, I would thank you. Are you my left brain or my right brain? I forgot. Huh? Whichever, whichever one's the right, whichever one's the strong one, right? That's the one you are. Right? Okay. That was true. The song is true. I'm on his mind right here before the cross. They're going to come. I'm going to see to it, active voice, Hena clause. And when they come, they're going to be part of who we are. We will spend into the ages of the ages being enriched in the truth of being in the presence and glory of Almighty God. He talks about that here in just a second. 
Number three, thought number three. That the world may believe that you sent me. The proof of the reality of the Father sending forth his Son is found in the very existence of the church. So, just by the power, and it, listen, I don't have faith by my power. It's a gift. God gifted me with faith. There's nothing that I've done. Absolutely nothing. It's all of God and none of me. Thus to his praise and glory. You just won't walk around in heaven bragging on what a great catch you were. Our God sure had a hard time with me. Oh, bull. Listen. Here's what we'll do. Whatever crowns we get, we throw them back at him. They're not mine, they're yours. Whatever songs we sing, we won't sing about our experiences. We'll sing about the glory of God. And we will be enlightened even further to his everlasting word, his everlasting truth, his everlasting glory and dignity and honor and power. And we continue to grow in that knowledge. And the existence of the church today proves to the world that the Son of God has come to die for our sins. And we have been born again. Regeneration. And we're separate from the world. And with each step that we take, being in God, each step that we take, eat, listen, each step that we take shows to us how repugnant, how awful sin is. We struggle with it all the time. We struggle with it, but the world doesn't struggle with it. They enjoy it. We don't enjoy it. And we are separate from the world. And remember what the Lord said to the 11? He said, they're going to hate you. And they'll kill you. Because you're in me. That the world may believe that you sent me. Why would they hate us if they didn't believe that? I copied and pasted something on Facebook about, you know, they, they try to destroy a, a word they don't believe and all this stuff. Why are they putting so much effort if they don't think it's a real thing? That's an interesting thought. Our existence, our very existence and the commission which we must obey brings the world under conviction. And the unbelieving world despise it, despises it because in some twisted and perverted way they actually believe what's being said but they don't want to hear it. Thus they cannot receive it. An unsaved person just 
doesn't understand the Bible. He can't, he can't receive it. And those who belong to God in the due course of time, a light will come on. God will draw. Faith will be planted. Everything will be made clear. But the world, not that way. That the world may believe that you sent me. There's the Hena clause again. I'll try not to talk too much more about that. Thought number four. And the glory which you have given me, I have given them so that they, in order that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be completed, perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me. Thought number four then. Paul writes to the Philippians, he talks about how God the Son laid aside his glory, his eternal glory, to become something he had never been, namely a man, one of his creation. And in laying aside that glory, coming to redeem his own, Paul says, he didn't think that it was like highway robbery to give it up. Still, he died this horrible, humiliating death, Paul continues. Even the death of the cross. This glory was laid aside. He prayed in the first few verses that this glory would be restored to him. And it was, we talked about that in the ascension Okay. The glory which you have given me, I have given them. The Revelation chapter 22, and I think it's verse 3, it says that there will be no need for the sun nor the moon to give us light. Because the Lamb is the light thereof. And so you might pine and think, but I love a starlit night. I love the full moon. I love the beach on the full moon. Let me tell you something. We're told by Isaiah, and Paul repeats it, that the eye hasn't seen, the ear hasn't heard, it hasn't entered the heart of the man what God has in store for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Here's what that means to me. In the skies above me, in the new heaven and the new earth, the glory of my Lord in unique ways will displace all of that and will pale and put to shame anything that I ever thought I enjoyed about the first heaven and the first earth. And I will be living in that glory and that glory will be in me. Look what he says. The glory which you have given me, I have given them. To be fully and completely realized 
in the next age to come. What power to eliminate and energize the entire new universe. To be marveled at by those of us who are going to be there. <laughs> and we may think, well, you know, I thought I had an idea of what glory was. I, I'll spend all of eternity learning more and more about the glory of glory. It'll be ours, we'll be in him, and he will put on display wonders and marvels that will cause us to never, ever think about anything ever again other than his glory and the glory that he's given to us. This was his prayer. He prayed that for me. That they may be one. Intent, absolute accomplishment. As we are one. One with God. I in them and you in me that they may be completed, perfected, completed. To be completed, perfected, to be, to be, to be made the complete thing. The absolute mature thing. To be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me. Thought number five. And loved them even as you loved me. How much does the Father love the Son? You cannot measure it. It is immeasurable. It is infinite. It is the love of God. Anything, any attribute of God is far above and beyond anything that we could imagine. This applies to his love the love he has for his son and the love he has for me. Infinite, absolute love. I know he gets irritated with me. Pat will tell you I am not perfect. And so I, unfortunately, I'll sin now and again. <laughs> More than that, really. But you see, because I'm loved by the Father, even as he loves the Son and loves me in the Son, all of his anger against my sin was laid on his Son. And I don't have to worry about it. I come under conviction and I confess and repent. That's part of the Holy Spirit living in me. But I know that the punishment of it has already been given out, meted out upon my Savior on the cross. And loved them 
you loved them even as you loved me. Thought number six. This is his prayer for me and you if you're in Christ. Father, those whom you have given me I desire that where I am, they also may be with me. All right? Hina, Hina clause again, in order that where I am, they be with me. He prayed this, he prayed this for me. This is his prayer for me. I believe it's his continuing prayer as my great high priest in heaven. And he makes, he makes this petition before the Father. I want Charles to be with me. You have given him to me. It is my will, it is my desire, fellow, my, 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 my will, my desire, that where I am, they also may be with me. Hina clause, subjunctive, active, and present, a continuous thing that cannot be broken, and it is the action of the subject who performs the action. The subject, so it's intent, absolute accomplishment. It's a done deal. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father someday his high priestly work will be over. He won't have to do that anymore. And wherever he is, there I will be. That's the sixth thought that comes from his prayer. Number seven, that there, that they may behold my glory that you gave me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. We will see him as he is. May I repeat what I've, I said in the sermon or sermon before last. And we go to the ascension of Christ in the book of Acts. He ascended, first chapter. And they gazed upon him. Remember the, the Greek words that were used, the one especially, the Greek. It doesn't mean to defy gravity. It means to be highly exalted and lifted up. And he was lifted up. And they gazed. And blepo, they gazed, which means they were just stunned. Ah, ah. They didn't know him like that. A glimpse, three of them had a glimpse of the transfiguration. Just a glimpse. But now, 
as he ascends, he is enswathed with his glory. How do we know that? Well, because the two that were standing there said, this same Jesus that you see going away shall come again, just, just like that. So you go over to the Revelation 1 and see what he looks like. Hair like wool, eyes like fire. Feet like burnished, burnished bronze. Shining brighter than the sun itself. With great power. That they may behold my glory that you gave me because... You loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus now calls upon the covenant between himself and the Father before the foundation of the world. Upon what basis could he request that I would behold his glory and then earlier that I would even be given and, and share in his glory? On the basis of the love that the Father had for the Son before the foundation of the world. There's the word, because. Hoti, because, joins it all together. Now, ending up his prayer. Righteous Father. Although the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. Stop there. He addresses the Father as righteous Father. Then he says, the world hasn't known you, but I've known you. And I made your name known to them and to those who sent me, to whom you sent me I will make it known. All right, those Hena clauses come to rest on this and will. Future indicative active. Okay? All of the Hena's <laughs> come down to this clause. And will. I did it. I made your name known to them, the 11, and will make it known. Guaranteed, remember? Fulfilling the Hena clause that the intent will be absolutely fulfilled by the guarantee of Christ so that even though I wasn't born then, this guarantees it for me that he would make himself known to me, the name of God, salvation, redeemer. I made your name known. All right, so he calls him righteous father because the world does not have any clue of what righteousness is. We're always making laws, redefining righteousness. So that things are declared to be righteous today that were heinous 20, 30, 50 years ago, but it's okay today, it's righteous. Matter of fact, if you don't go along with that, you might get thrown in jail. The standard of righteousness for fallen man is, is always 
bobbling and, and bobbing and, and being tossed about because it's from man and man doesn't understand righteousness. Righteousness is defined in the law of God, but we're also told that there's no way we can ever attain that standard of righteousness. We fail. So he says, righteous father, the world doesn't know you. And the only way they can know your righteousness is through me. But I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I made your name known to them. The definition of righteousness, which is the crux of salvation. I must be covered with the righteousness of Christ. I have no righteousness on my own. And he will make it known. He made it known. What conviction of sin to come to the knowledge of how absolutely disdainful you really are. Lost. A sinner. Bound for hell. Nothing ahead of you but hell. Unless God intervenes by grace. Sovereign divine grace. I was a mean little boy. There was, I didn't deserve it then. I don't deserve it now. I never will. But because of the grace of God, guaranteed by the declaration of Christ that in the future, all of those who will come to me, I will make your name known, your righteousness known. And they will know that there's no righteousness but through me. Thought number eight. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Eternal, blessed, holy, infinite, Love. He loves me. He disciplines me. He watches me. He cares for me. He sustains me. He grows me up. And finally brings me to himself. I told you last time, when we think of the upward call, we think of going to heaven. But the father thinks of it as bringing us into glory. Into the presence of glory. We cannot imagine it. We can only think about it and try to learn more about it. But until we are in the presence of it, we can't really, I think, grasp it all. But there and then, only by the grace of God. No good thing in me. I have to appeal to the righteousness that the Father declares in the Son and the Son dies for me, takes upon himself all that is wrong with me and gives to me all that is right about him. Atonement and justification and saves me because I'm loved forever forever.
Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. Perhaps the Father is calling you to himself through Christ today. In just a moment, we'll be dismissed in prayer. And as you exit this room, just across the hall, you will see deacons and their wives standing in doorways of a couple of rooms. They're there to pray with you. If God is calling you to be saved today, they're also there to pray with you and to do whatever it takes, take care of all the details. If you as a Christian feel led to come and be a part of Shiloh, they're there to take care of all of those details as well. And that's how our invitation is this morning. As the Lord deals with you and as you exit this room, go to see them and all things will be taken care of. All right, let's stand together prayerfully all over this room and we'll pray and be dismissed.